Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, boys. Let's do it. We uh, we have to get rolling because Brad just reminded me that Canada plays in not too long, and Evan uh, promptly followed with uh, the season premiere of Handmaid's Tales on tonight. So we have to wrap this up so we can get to those two things. You're not going to answer for that, Evan. You're just going to let that oh, one sit. It, it's a fantastic show, of course. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. We we binged it perfectly. It all worked out so that we're one week del- or gap between the end of when we stopped watching and the new season. So, yes, that is how I'm f- filling up my night other than this. Just when you think you don't know Evan, you find out that you really do not know Evan at all. Whenever people ask ask me or Brad things about Evan, him as a person, what he does, what he's looking at on the screen to the side, what he does with his free time, what he does for work, we're not kidding when we say we really don't know. I'm not fully confident Evan's not just a name he gave us so we couldn't look him up. Uh, No, one time when he was in the house, I stole his wallet and I had to sift through a lot of wads of cash, but I did find his ID, and his first name is actually Evan, believe it or not. Last name, though, not Lobsinger, it's Rockefeller, so that might explain a few things. I wish. I wouldn't have to do a podcast with you chumps. (laughs) Yeah, because this podcast is definitely funding mass amounts of your life. Yes. Oh, boy. Well, U18s are on. Joe Valeno's played a hockey game. Moritz Sider's dominating over in Sweden. Lots of hockey to talk about. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I am Brad Crisco, and that is an alias. And I'm Evan. Couldn't say Rockefeller? Couldn't lean into the bit? No. Sorry. No. Uh, a few housekeeping items for this episode before we jump into it. Uh, first of all, uh, patrons will have known this. We we did a test or, or a Patreon-exclusive episode on a new recording service previously. So this is our first full episode on the service. So if you guys have any feedback on the audio or if on you're on YouTube, any feedback on the video, uh, let us know. Uh, we want to make sure that this works well for you guys and, and that we do the rollout in a way that doesn't interrupt the show. So if you notice anything different, give us a shout on Twitter at winged wheel pod, eh, follow us while you're there. Why not? Um, and also this episode, not right now, we are going to be announcing the winners of our big giveaway that, uh, started around trade deadline time. So when the flurry of Mantha being traded, uh, we announced that we'd be giving away some jerseys, some shirts, some uh, stickers, swag packs, that kind of thing. So um, Patreon and, you know, open to the world and Twitter giveaways will be announced uh, later this episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, And also want to make sure that I take this time to make sure to make sure, to make sure, to make sure, uh, to acknowledge that we are partnered with the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and we hope you check them out at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. They're a children's foundation in- initiative established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father, uh, who you'll know as Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. All right, guys, let's start with... The game. Detroit versus Columbus. The movable force uh, versus the stoppable object. (laughs) It was a snooze fest overall. 
for sure. I think, Brad, you were advocating to get those two hours of your life back. Uh, unfortunately, you may not. But the good takeaway, Joe Valena played his first NHL game, and he played at center. And you know what? Not bad. Uh, Asterix, it was against Columbus, but he looked good. He almost scored a goal. I think it was his first or second shift in a very Datsukian fashion where he chased down the defender in the offensive zone from behind, lifted his stick, took the puck, turned around, fired for a good scoring chance. Gagne almost put in the rebound. So it doesn't seem like a lot, but something very minor like that very early in the game for him was probably huge because when you step up levels of hockey, the hardest thing to get when you're there is your confidence because you just assume you're worse than everybody because you're the new guy there. So him getting a really, really good shift and a really, really good chance quickly, I think set the tone for the rest of the game for him because he was throwing hits. He was active on the puck. He did get a couple scoring chances. Not that he was dominant in this game or anything like that, but he was good. He was one of the Red Wings more noticeable players. Uh, Credit to Blashill. He actually played him. Um, I know I made the joke facetiously on Twitter ahead of time, like, hey, he's playing, but can he actually play? And he got 14 minutes uh, at the end of regulation. And I think he even got a shift in overtime, which like not even trying to sound like an asshole was at least six minutes more than I thought he was going to get. I thought he was going to get the Svechnikov treatment and he didn't. And that's a great sign. And Blashill, who's notoriously stingy for giving any player praise in the post-game press conference was very complimentary of Valeno after saying he said he looked like a player who's played two full seasons of professional hockey meaning reading between the lines there hey this guy looked comfortable here so I there's still a million things Valeno needs to develop and there's still a steep learning curve for him and it's one game so you know Taking a huge read from one game is stupid, but I'm going to kind of do it anyway. I think this one game maybe does bump Valeno's timeline up a little bit because we all assumed he'd be a midseason call up next year. Knowing what we saw last night and knowing how thin Detroit is at center, maybe he sticks out of camp. I think there's a better I have. I don't think it'll happen, but I have more confidence it'll happen today than I did two days ago in terms of him being a day one Red Wing next year. Yeah, I was really honestly surprised by how comfortable he was. And that's not about, it's a little bit about Joe Valeno. Um, we've seen him at most levels take a little bit of time to acclimate. And again, this it's only been one game, so he could have a complete stinker for his next four, however many he plays, and then all of this, you know, goes out the window. But taking this very small sample size, um, he could have had one bad game and it would have been to start and it would have made a lot of sense because at every level he's taken some time to adjust and get up to speed and and pivot. So he just went from playing in the SHL, which is a very strong league, mind you. So that played to his advantage, but also a completely different game because of the, the wide international ice. If you've not played um, on you know NHL size, regulation size ice and then international ice, it is very, very different especially for a such a mobile position such as center you are gassed because of how wide that ice is like it, it completely wins you i played defense i don't know if you guys knew but i played defense and i 
was sucking air by the end of the first period on international ice. Um, there's a rink in Chatham that had it. Oh, God, I hated playing there. Um, so he came in, had a strong game, and this is after a full season in the SHL, a quarantine period, and then recovery from a concussion. Like He should have been rusty, sore, out of shape, and completely backwards because of the change in the ice. And like you said, Brad, he looked comfortable. Not even just adequate. Like He made plays. He had a couple really nice steals. He had a, 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 some good offensive chances. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he looked good. Uh, Blasio was completely right. And yeah, I was thrilled 14 and a half minutes if Blasio played him for eight minutes I honestly would not have batted an eye I'd been like yeah that's fair for a guy who's coming off a lot of rust and and just you know in an international flight in a quarantine period but no all in all a very good day one for Joe Valeno in the NHL not a good game so I was happy to take some positives from it Verona had a lot of chances that game he he, he looked all the part two breakaways and a couple more chances, which is none of them went in. That's about all that happened. There nothing else happened that whole goddamn game. Yeah, I mean, you know, goaltending on both sides was strong, but also the quality of shots weren't terribly high. So, like, I, I don't think they were too battle tested. Verona had some good opportunities, like you said. Zadina had some key opportunities, especially in overtime that he didn't convert on. Um, yeah. Like if if Valena wasn't in there, I would have just completely forgotten that game the moment we turned it off. Like, there's something fitting now. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I saw uh, someone post after the game that was the Red Wings' first shutout of the season. <laughs> came in a loss. <laughs> I I didn't bother to double check that, but if that was in fact their first shutout of the season and they lost that is the most red wings thing that has happened in the last 5 years like my god a red wings shutout in which a, a thomas grice shutout in which the red wings gave him literally zero goal support is the most 2020 2021 detroit red wings thing i've heard ever in my life like that's the kind of thing where evan predicts the game the episode before and he's like yeah Detroit's gonna get a shutout but they're still gonna lose like that's just the quintessential that's how the season is going for Detroit this is just another feather in the cap yeah uh, Red Wings rebuild I imagine after the game that once uh, Evgeny Svechnikov got into the dressing room realizing that Joe Valeno playing his first NHL game got four more minutes of ice than he did he probably flipped the garbage can to which Thomas Grice walked in after neatly set the garbage can back up and then punted it through a wall <laughs> you know what Grice did not have a good start and even like middle-ish of the season right like he at points was adequate and at points you're like yeah you're letting in one stinker a game like it's not really great you're not giving us a Bernie performance which I maintain it's still unreasonable for, to expect for Red Wings fans, but he's been really strong of late. I think he's done a really good job since Bernie went down. He's had way more dominant games than he's had bad ones. And usually a bad game for this Red Wings team from a goalie is not always the goalie's fault. So credit to Grice. You know, he's really pulled it together. Um, knowing you have him on your fantasy team as one of your two goalies, Brad, that actually plays. And the fact that you're beating people with that goalie lineup pisses me off so much. Your stupid all Red Wings fantasy hockey team. You absolute Neanderthal. It's not an all Red Wings lineup anymore. You switched it? I didn't trade Mantha. Oh. 
You have to drop him. That's the only solution. <laughs> Evan's a commissioner. He won't allow it. He'll veto that. Um, some more far too early but longer outlook talk on Valeno, though. Uh, you mentioned this, Brad, and I think it's worth exploring a little bit. If we are going to extrapolate from this one game, I tend to have some cautious, you know, agreement with what you said regarding Valeno might get more of a look or more have more of an impact next year than um, we originally anticipated. My, you know, tinfoil hat theory that I'm slowly buying into myself, and and I know I do this once a year about something, is that um, Eiserman and the draft team are very cognizant of the strengths of the 2022 and 2023 drafts. They are very aware of the pains of rebuilding in this current NHL system, and they know that they're at great risk of mistiming this rebuild based on the caliber of players you can get. I'm not saying this is definitely going to happen, but... Would you really fault Eisenman for not equipping this team with as much strength as it, I don't know if deserves is the right word. He's not going to go all out to make this team uh, a fringe playoff team next season or even the season after. And you have two options to make the team weaker. You either add warm bodies like the Philpola, Sam Gagne even types in free agency to fill those spots or you bring up your Joe Valenos, you let him have a uh, tough but good developing year in the NHL where you know he's not going to win you games. Um, it advances your system. It gets him some NHL experience and you're going to suck in the meantime. And then you're in the the running for Shane Wright or, you know, in the future Bedard or Michkov or whatever it might be. I don't know. I, I see Valeno being a nice little fit into that stupid conspiracy theory in my head. So what you're saying is Blashill's definitely coming back. Gotcha. Um, Look, I, that's where my money's going at this point. If we're going to jump to that conversation. Honestly, yeah. honestly. No, but I get what you're saying. And as much as I believe in what Eiserman's doing, one of my concerns that I, I voiced a couple times this year was we're in a rebuild and the Red Wings are one of the oldest teams in the NHL. They have a lot of good prospects who are going to be knocking on the door very, very soon. And in the case of Cider and Valeno, already are. So the long, the less guys that play this year, the more of a problem it becomes as these guys develop. Because I wanted to see one or two new guys be regulars in the lineup this year because you're going to get two or three more next year, two or three more the year after that. Because you can't have hypothetically Valeno, Raymond, Smith, um, Cider, Johansson, like pick six prospects and, and next year they're all rookies and they're all coming in at the same time. You have to stagger it. So I still believe this year was a bit of wasted opportunity on that, but it's not the biggest deal because not many of their prospects were ready at the beginning of this year, if any at all. So that might've been Eisenman's hand being dealt but also we've known he's been trying to keep the young guys away from this team for a couple of years now and there's some validity to that but when you look at the team next year getting back to what you're saying is um, there's not going to be a lot of turnover on this team because if you look at guys who are under contract or are RFAs for next season on left wing you have Bertuzzi, Verana, Ernie, Svechnikov, Giovanni Smith, Matthias Brome. Okay, they, they're not going to get a left winger because why would they bother? For center, there's an issue. You have Larkin, Rasmussen, Nemesnikov. There's one spot available. 
Joe Valeno makes a ton of sense to be that one spot. On right wing, you have Zadina, Fabry, Ponick. Okay, you have one spot available there, and that's you could flip Smith or Brome over to the right wing too. So really, there's at best two spots, quote unquote, open. I understand the uh, expansion draft is going to change that. There are going to be trade stuff's going to happen. So this is all early projections, and there's stuff time for things to change. But on defense, it's the same thing. You have DeKaiser and Chalosky under contract for next year, Hironic, Stetcher, Sider, and Lindstrom on the right side. That's really one, maybe two defensemen they need to acquire and a goalie. There's not going to, this team is not going to look dramatically different next year. And understanding the timeline of the rebuild, understanding how patient Iserman is, and understanding the limitations that this nearly assembled roster gives you, why would you go out and put a Band-Aid on a bullet wound? Yes, a Gabriel Landeskog would be nice. Yes, all these top-end players would be nice. They are not fixing next year. It will still be bad. All they will do is bump them from a lottery team to like 10th last, which is a way worse spot to be in. So I... I mentioned either last episode or the episode before, I am pleasantly surprised by the steps this team has taken this year um, in terms of some of the guys outperforming expectations. That being said, this is still a very bad hockey team and they are still going to be a very bad hockey team next year. The only way they sniff a playoff spot next year is if almost all the, the rookies and sophomores take a huge step. Like Sider comes in, he's a Calder nominee. Valeno comes in and he's a very adequate third line center. Pucks start going in the net for Zadina. Giovanni Smith turns into that fourth line lock that we all hope he would be. That's the only way. <laughs> it could happen. I'm not saying it couldn't. But I yeah, like you said, I don't see big roster turnover and I don't see Eisenman making a big splash. So I do see the Red Wings still being very much in the mix for Shane Wright. So signing Ovechkin is off the off the table. Oh, well, let's not take away all the fun. Come on, we we could also get Red Wings legend Thomas Tatar off uh, free agency. May as well throw in a little bit of nostalgia here. How many times can you get an overpayment for Thomas Tatar? Yeah, you know, like let's try again. <laughs> <laughs> Trade Thomas Tatar twice. Speed run. Let's go. Ken Holland did it the first time, so Eisenman has to beat the uh, the Hall, and that's not going to be easy. A first, second, and third. Speaking of which, uh, Valeno was brought in off of the uh, first round pick from the Tatar trade. For those and who didn't know, and the final piece of that trade is coming through in this draft. It's funny how that all works. Um, yeah, I, like I don't know. Maybe calling it a conspiracy theory is is making it too big of a thing like you mentioned brad eisenman has demonstrated that he is exceptionally patient when it comes to this uh, and we've talked about this before he preaches that at any given opportunity to discuss timelines or when you know he gets questions about are we going to be ready soon and he's very careful and adamant to say like no this will take a long time um i'm not going to reopen like I, I don't think we need to you know relitigate the black shell discussion completely this episode there's going to be so much of that but just to add the black shell flavor to this conversation brad you just acknowledged that the team did make steps this year and you did acknowledge as we have in previous episodes this isn't new that the next season or two likely aren't going to matter in terms of winning very much but more for the rebuild 
that really lends in my mind to not only does it make it more likely that Blashill comes back, I think it makes it more likely that it makes sense. I don't know. I, I like my opinion hasn't changed that I would prefer to move on, but I could not really find a lot of fault if Eisman said, yeah, we're bringing Blashill back. We're not trying to win for the next couple of years. The team has made limited progress where they could, and a lot of that was under him. So we're going to see how this goes because uh, I'm not worried about how many wins are in the win column. I'm worried about Shane Wright and Connor Bedard and those kinds of players. So I don't know, man. Uh, all this adding up, these last – it's silly to say, but these last five games I think are going to really color people's opinions some more. But it, a lot of it is adding up to, yeah, another year or two-year extension for Blashill might be, might be uh, on its way. Better not be a two-year I understand another year. It better not be a two-year. Because, again, my concern with Blashell, I don't give a shit about winning and losing games. His poor end-of-game management, his systematic flaws, they they bug me. But whatever. It's a system. Who cares? The player development is what I care about. That's all I care about from a coach on the Red Wings right now. And again, without rehashing the conversation, I don't think he's done a particularly strong job at that. Um, which is why I would still lean towards moving on. Cause yeah, a good coach brings in bumps to trade up the standings a little bit. Sure. We lose Shane, Wright, But we get big progression from Zadina Chalosky, you know, Larkin goes back to himself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a, that's a fair trade-off. If those guys continue to not progress the way we'd hoped they would, and we do get Shane Wright, yeah, that's great. But now we're stuck with the problem that Edmonton has, where there's, you have your superstar and you can't build around him. Now that's a far better situation than Detroit's in currently. And I'm certainly not going to complain if that happens, but there is a better outcome than that. So, what you're saying is we shouldn't go out, sign Landis Cog, sign Ovechkin, and bring in Rod the Bot and win the cup next year. No, two that's years. two years from now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if if okay, we're so, looking for veteran presence, we can also bring in 45-year-old Zdeno Chara on the cheap, I bet. You, that guy's a terrifying. Do you see the picture the, the Caps tweeted of him fighting with his crazy eyes? And he's oh fighting God. Matt Martin, who's no slouch either. He's a psychopath. Jeez. Like... The amount of sadistic joy that Chara finds from physically dominating hockey players, like a lot of people talk about, oh, you just, you'd love him more if he was on your team. That has to be the, the truth for Chara. Like you have to be infuriated playing against him, but if he's on your team, it's got to be the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. Would we, would he have fought Jamie Ben? He would beat that. He would have beat the baby piss out of Jamie Ben. He would have knocked his poopy diaper off of him. Stupid I Jamie Ben. I still like Jeff Merrick's um, thought that Zidane Chara should win the Lady Bing every year uh, because every year he goes through without actually killing somebody is a choice he made. <laughs> Look, as a Red Wings fan, Zidane, playing against Zidane Chara and the Bruins pissed me off so much because he would get away with a lot. Like he'd palm someone's head and like whip them across the ice and he wouldn't get called for anything. And I'd be like, I'm pretty sure you can't do that under whatever state law they're they're whose jurisdiction they're in right now, let alone hockey regulations. <laughs> he he would get so much leeway, but yeah, I'm I, I guess he could do a lot more too. He's in incredible shape too. Yeah, you have to be to be playing at his age, but no, he keeps him in, in in really good shape. 
Yeah. Uh, one more thought on, on next year. People talk a lot about, um, you know, this team was more competitive than they thought this year and they were only so many points out of a playoff spot. Once the divisions go somewhat back to normal, we are going to see a little bit of that crazy variance outcomes and standings go away. This is benefiting some bad teams in a big way right now. Um, I don't know that we see this kind of results under normal divisional setups like the north division isn't happening again or that at least that's their plan so something else to consider and it's worth noting directly relating to the red wings the central division right now is the worst of the four nhl divisions there's three good teams and then a bunch of shit um dallas is making a case to be a fourth relevant team but next year Detroit's right back, getting the shit kicked out of them over and over again by Florida, Tampa, Toronto, Boston. Montreal's a good team, but we know that Detroit's got that one solved, so no issues there. Ottawa's on the upswing. They're on the same timeline as Detroit, roughly, so at worst, they're a wash to the Red Wings. Yeah, it's... um, Other than getting to pick on Buffalo next year, it's going to be worse for the Red Wings. So I mentioned it before, and I'll say it again. There is a reality where the Red Wings improve as a hockey team next year and fall in the standings. And truthfully, that is the perfect outcome next season. Just because, yeah, if you finish second last in the NHL because you're losing to the Leafs in Tampa all the time, but if you're losing to the Leafs in Tampa 3-2 every game or 4-3, very acceptable outcomes. Now, if you're losing 4-3 consistently to the Sabres and the Senators, that's a different conversation, but that's a minority of your division. The majority of your division are going to be very justifiable losses. It's really a, you know, a division in two halves, right? You've got the haves and the haves not have nots. There's yeah. the, the perennial powerhouses now in Toronto, Buffalo or Trump, Buffalo, <laughs> Boston, <laughs> Toronto, Boston and Tampa. And I would, and Florida's certainly in that mix now. And then there's, everybody else trying to find their way the the, the misfits in the, in the division so it's not going to get any easier for detroit and and especially until they either have a very competent lineup from top to bottom or they get a superstar uh offer sheet elias petterson um detroit to finish Sign, out the season. Uh, alex ovechkin <laughs> he tried to close out the season they have five more games we're recording this on wednesday night thursday night they play uh carolina they have a, a couple weekend games against tampa bay and then they don't play all week until uh may 7th and 8th uh in columbus both games uh to close out the season so that's five games left detroit currently has the sixth their sixth last in the league by points percentage which means they'd have the seventh best lottery odds because of seattle getting the third best odds automatically um how that's going to play out towards the end of the season i don't know um i think columbus and ottawa are both within range buffalo and anaheim and new jersey i don't think are relinquishing those those spots so remains to be seen um so it'll be interesting who knows Let's see how Joe Valeno does. Let's see how how long Joe Valeno's up. Uh, I think that'll be or how long Joe Valeno plays. I assume they'll just keep him up for the rest of the season, but you never know. There's small things. Valeno could say, you know, I'm gassed, I'm banged up, is what it is. Who knows? So something to keep your eye on. I promise you he will not say that. You don't think he'll say that? He's how in his- know? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm messing with you. Um Moritz Cider. 
The uh, SHL playoffs continue. More outsiders, Rogue team are playing Shleftia. Am I saying that right, Brad? Or uh, that series is 2-2. Sider actually missed a game because he took a helmet slash little headbutt thing to the jaw. Um, missed the next game and then I believe came back the game after uh, in which he immediately delivered a ton of brutal, got hit by a train hit. So it's good to see that he is uh, bounced back quickly and still physically dominating. Um, and again, it, you, you don't need to be told, but Sider is not playing in the NHL this year for rogla even if rogla was eliminated in the next two games and then he came over and quarantined it wouldn't be enough time to get games in so it's just not happening uh but really fun watching him absolutely brutalize the shl in in these playoffs i'm just grateful he hasn't killed jonathan bergen in this series that was my biggest fear when i saw shalefti was playing rogla so you know we got to take the victories where we can get them um i think they each have a point or two in this series Tie 2-2. Is it a best of seven? I thought for some reason it was a best of five, but I never bothered. Yeah, okay. I never bothered to clarify. But yeah, and um, last game, Sider's numbers were cartoonish. He was, I think, 27 Corsi 4, 3 against. So he was on the ice for 24 more shots for than he was against, which is hilarious. (laughs) The those numbers, what was his his Corsi percentage was 90? 90 even, yeah. That is ludicrous. Like that is ludicrous. This kid turned 20 earlier this month. This was this is a, a practically a 19-year-old all year jumping into one of the most dominant leagues not named the NHL. A lot of people might say it's the most dominant league. It's at least up there with the KHL. And he's dominating. He is absolutely running the show there. That is a ridiculous thing to do coming off of an injury in a high-stakes playoff game. How? How do you even manage that as a 20-year-old? Well, he did win the Elite Prospects Award as the SHL's top junior-aged player. Man, I have so much cautious optimism for Cider, and I really try to lean on the cautious part of that. I don't want people to expect the world from him. I don't want people to expect a Norris from him in his first couple of seasons. I don't want people to expect him to come in and win the Calder. But look, it's not even that this is a kid whose qualities make him more suited to dominate the SHL. We are seeing him improve. We are seeing him leverage his size and his body more and more. Sometimes it's a little bit wrecking ball-like. I'm not sure that... It's going to fly completely in the NHL, but I, I I have a hard time suppressing a lot of the cider hype for next season. I really do. Well, this is going to be a positive and a negative statement. There is a decent possibility that Mo Cider is the best defenseman on the Detroit Red Wings next year. Again, not that he's going to win Rookie of the Year or be a Norris nomination. He, he he doesn't have the world to go up against in Detroit. I don't think he'll be the best defenseman because I do have faith Heronic will bounce back, and I think Troy Stetcher is criminally underrated. But Sider has that chance. So, of course, hype is going to be high. I love how your argument for not getting expectations too high was cider don't expect cider to win a norris in the next few years <laughs> implying that <laughs> after that yeah we can expect a norris uh which isn't actually all that crazy of a thought um 
Again, well, not likely, but the fact you can even say not likely, but is a testament to how good he is. Um, but yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. And we shouldn't be surprised. He had a great year in the AHL as an 18-year-old. And 18-year-old defensemen don't have great seasons in the AHL. They don't. When you were looking at all the stats he was putting up last year and all the players he was compared to, it was like four. <laughs> they, they just don't do it. Yeah. So the, I, I didn't expect him to dominate the SHL like this. But it, it wasn't surprising that he was as good as he was. And he's like, he's playing, like he's eating minutes. Like he's that team's top defenseman. He played, uh, according to Ice Hockey Gifts on Twitter, um, twenty over 26 minutes, highest in the game. He played the most minutes in that game. Good, and he he's finished ready with for a, Detroit next year. Yeah, he finished with a 90% Corsi 4. <laughs> Those numbers are nuts. Again, this and, is... Hold on. It's not the and NHL, is, but... And this is how you know he's very ready for, for next season. He put up a 90% Corsi 4, had the absolute game of his life. Not that that was a game of his life. He's had several like that this year. But he dominated the game, and his team lost. <laughs> He'll be so ready for the Red Wings, man. He's already mentally here. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm excited for Joe Valeno. I'm excited to see Lucas Raymond get a look or at least come over to the A. I'm excited for Berggren. The hype for Moritz Sider is real. And you know what? That would be such a massive, massive, massive win for Eiserman in that draft team to not only nail that pick, but nail the first pick before Eiserman really settled in and, and got his team like his his draft team in place before everything shifted around when Tyler Wright left and everything like that. Like by all rights, that could have been a lost draft. Um, and so far, that pick is looking really, really good. <laughs> all right, hold on, let me get a chip bag just to crumble. No, just to- <laughs> all right, jump. Well, actually, know what I'll do? You know what I'll do? I'll I'll mail Evan a bag of chips for next episode. I I will. That I can do. <laughs> Oh, please tell me you're going to leave this part in the episode. Yeah, I'll leave this part in the episode for you, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) I think it'll be the listener's favorite part. I wouldn't be surprised. It's probably better than anything else we put out. (laughs) Brad and Evan stress the hell out of Ryan, the podcast. You won't Um, chicken. Okay, and for that, you are going to take the bulk of uh, opening up this next segment, which is our NHL prospect profiles. The U18s are um, happening right now, but before we cover those specifically, let's talk a little bit about Brant Clark. Brad, take it away. Okay, I have to do all the heavy lifting on our prospect talk. Wow, this is going to be so out of character. Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, God. I, well, we don't let Evan open because then he'll just take up all the words. We We know that. I have a famous line for prospect profile, and I don't trust any of you to use it properly. (laughs) Well, what else can I say? (laughs) It's not quite as good when someone else says it. Okay, so Brant Clark, the 
Barry Colts defenseman who did not play for the Barry Colts this year, instead went over to a tier two men's league in Slovakia and is currently playing for Team Canada at the U18s, fresh off a four point game in the opener against Sweden for context, Canada won 12 to one. So those numbers are a touch inflated, but most of his offense did come before it was a blowout. Mind you, a lot of his offense came from that game from giving the puck to Shane Wright, which is never a bad idea. So Brant Clark is everything you want in a modern defenseman with one big but. But I will start with the positives. Some scouts have described Brant Clark's hockey IQ as the level of a genius. He sees things on the ice elite hockey players don't see. He makes decisions on the ice that the best players in the world make. He has good enough hands and a good enough shot to execute on these things. He is great in transition. Uh, He is a master in the offensive zone and his defensive game isn't bad. So he's not the typical offensive defenseman. Yeah, well, let's just hope the puck stays out of his net. So far in his career, that has not been a big issue. I'm not going to say the defensive is is the strength of his game, but it's adequate. The offense of his game is arguably the best of any defenseman in this entire draft. Now, with everything I just said, you would say this guy should be in surefire, no doubt, first overall pick, and you'd be right, except his skating sucks. Now, this is an interest going to be an interesting case study. Because I have a little more faith in Brant Clark's skating than most because he is, we we have to get to the technicality of it. His stride is wonky. It's got a hitch in it. It's not efficient. He has to do a lot of work to get anywhere, um, which I can relate to because I actually have a very similar skating style. Um, but he he does get around the ice pretty quickly. So it's not limiting him now. The question with Brant Clark is, with this wonky skating stride, can he progress it? Because there are so many technical flaws in it, it's hard to envision how he'll get quicker, how he'll get faster with this stride. And if he doesn't, if he stays at his pace now and goes to the NHL, he's going to get eaten alive. The rest of his game is strong enough that he'll still be useful. But he won't be the the game-changing player that he is now. And, and it, it it's fascinating because I don't know what to make of it. If he gets a good enough skating coach and they're able to not make him faster, but actually technically fix his stride, that's not to over-exaggerate, life-changing for Brant Clark. Because if if you can say with confidence our skating coach can fix his stride. He should absolutely be in the conversation for first overall. But that is a really goddamn big if. Yeah, he's fascinating as a prospect, right? And you, I think, captured the point that floats around in my head, Brad, when you said you consider all of those qualities. He should be your pick for first overall. If you're the Red Wings in this draft where if you're, you know, you're not going to go goalie, and you have a high enough pick where he's there. You have to sw- – do you swing for the fences? I, I shouldn't say you have to. Do you swing for the fences or do you go for a safe, good pick? Or do you try to 
pick Brant Clark, fix the the technical flaws in his stride, and then all of a sudden you have an extremely, extremely impactful defenseman. I think a mistake a lot of people made, us included on Quinn Hughes initially, before we kind of pretty close to the draft, not came around. He wasn't our first choice, which, I mean, we were wrong about that, and so were a lot of other people. Um, but we got caught up in small parts of Quinn Hughes's game and, and didn't take into account his overall impact. Not the same kind of prospect as, as Brant Clark. That's not what I'm saying. But if you fix Brant Clark's stride and you make him an adequate skater, what's his biggest weakness? He doesn't have the best slap shot. He sometimes is a little bit aggressive. Um, I think playing over in Europe on big ice really helps uh, positioning and aggression because when you get burned on that big ice, you get burned. And there's a lot of space for them to burn you, so you really have to be considerate about where you are as a defenseman. Those kinds of things, the the aggression, the committing, uh, when you decide to jump into the rush, your positioning on the ice, that comes with time. If they can get the skating in line, Brant Clark absolutely should be in, in consideration for first overall. And in my mind, he like in my internal rankings, he's up there already. Um, that kind of dynamic impact on a game is hard to find. Um, I'm going to be candid. You know, being wrong about Quinn Hughes has scarred me a little bit, so I don't. I wouldn't want to miss out on on that type of an impact or that level of an impact on a game again. And and I don't know, Brent Clark in my mind is poised to be, have a super strong impact from the right side on the blue line. That's, that's the thing relative to Detroit. He shoots, right? <laughs> They're not lacking on that side, especially for offensive defensemen. Um, so you do have not, you don't have to factor that in. I'm still a believer, best player available always. And, would I take Brent Clark over Luke Hughes, even though Luke Hughes shoots left? Yeah, I probably still would. I mean, get good players and then figure out the rest later. That's how it should be. But uh, full full transparency, I don't have my my current – like I'm working on my end of season draft rankings right now, but he was number one on my preseason rankings. I was hoping – to see more progression from his skating this year than what we have actually seen. He hasn't had a lot of runway because, again, he played, I, I don't think it was more than 25 games in Europe. Um, so he didn't get a lot of game action. And I say that because it's easy to fix a stride in practice. If 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 you tell me to do something on the ice in practice over and over a thousand times in a row and I have no nothing going on around me, I'm going to do it. But then as soon as I get into game action, muscle memory kicks in and I go right back to bad habits. So I did want to see more from Clark skating this year, but again, didn't have a lot of opportunities. So I don't know. It's You could pick him one. He could go 10. Neither would surprise me because unfortunately for him, the question mark, we we nitpicked Quinn Hughes. With Brand Clark, it's not quite the equivalent conversation because the question mark for him is much bigger. You need to be able to skate in the NHL. So yeah. We'll see. When I talk about Hughes, it's important to note, I'm not saying Brant Clark's going to be as good as Quinn Hughes. I, that's Quinn Hughes is like, he could be, but I, I think Quinn Hughes is a much, much better with his offensive creativity and execution, I think. And and that's not a knock on Clark. It's a celebration of how good Hughes is. Uh, anyways, we should give a um, space here for Evan to say the line. Well, what else is there left to say? Um, 
I actually really like Brant Clark. I uh, didn't know a whole lot about him until last night, to be honest, when he popped off a little bit. Um, so I looked into him a little bit today, and um, I'm I think I'm pretty high on his game. Where he fits in comparison to everyone else in the top ten, I'm not sure yet. Um, but I think he's a hell of a smart hockey player, and um, his like his, he's he plays with a super active stick. He's got great gap control. Um, and, uh, it looks like he's, he's a good passer too. So, and he plays basically off the rush. So if you hate how Detroit's defense has played for the past four years, you'll probably like him on the team. Um, so I wouldn't be upset if the Red Wings picked him at all. I I really like his game. His, his skating stride is a little wide. It looks like he's on the back of a, of a horse or a bison, but I'm sure, (laughs) I'm sure somebody can fix that. Or a bison. <laughs> somebody can fix that. Um, you ride a but I wouldn't of- say he's. I wouldn't say he's a like. A, he's not a bad skater. It's just his his technique li- will limit him at the professional level. Um, ride a lot of bison in your day, Evan. I've been to Jackson Hole once or twice. Oh once. my god, with Jackson Hole. <laughs> um, yeah. No, we're not having that conversation again. No. 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 Um, but I think I think he will be a, a fairly uh, he'll be in a, a top four NHLer by the looks of it. Um, I I, I just am really high in his game based on the one day of research I've done. <laughs> it's hard um, if he didn't have the OHL season, right? Like it, it's ruined. So I think much he would be destroying the OHL right now. I don't even know what team he plays for in the OHL. It doesn't matter. Uh, I just think he he looks that good. Like from a defensive standpoint and his offensive abilities. I, I really like him. Um, yeah, I don't know where he'll go where I think he belongs in the top 10, but I would not be upset if the Red Wings drafted him at all. I mean, I would prefer a forward based on uh, the amount of goal scoring I've seen lately. Well, minus the seven, seven goal game, but yeah, um, I really like him. Uh, that's all I can really say. Yeah, you're right. If if you hated Detroit's breakout and, and transition transition through neutral ice and, and attacking the offensive zone, Brant Clark from the right side is not bad. And you know what, Brad? I know you you said we're strong from the right side, but yeah, I don't know. Cider coming in and having Heronic there is one thing. If even one of those guys played on the other side, then it would make a ton of sense. I agree, though. Best player available. If if Brant Clark is there and he's the best player, I, I, he's good enough where I'm taking him. He he loves to jump into the rush too, like and it's he the the stuff I saw was he wasn't putting his team at a disadvantage or, or cheating to create offense by jumping into the rush. Like he's he's has such good hockey sense and he's so smart that like these opportunities he sees organically and it, it generates great offense. So if you're tired of the Red Wings defense, only playing defense, I think you'd really like this kid. And his his 16-year-old splits in uh, Barry, so his his rookie year in the OHL, he had one of the most fascinating 16-year-old seasons in maybe the history of the OHL because he was a high pick in the OHL priority draft and by, by and large disappointed in the first half of his season, um, especially for being an offensive defenseman. He didn't score for like 20 or 30 games or something like that and only had a handful of assists. Then Barry fired their coach, 
brought in a new coach, and Brant Clark was damn near a point per game for the rest of this season as a 16-year-old defenseman. So he had almost 40 points in 57 games. Like that's no joke as a as a rookie in the OHL and as a defenseman. Okay. Brant Clark, uh, draft eligible. Watch him dominate the U18s right now. Speaking of the U18s, uh, quick update on that. Uh, Canada's ruining everything for everyone. Um, the strongest team in Canada's division outside of Canada was Sweden, who they beat 12-1, was it, last night? So... I thought... What, did Sweden just play bad, or... Nah... You know, every Can't. every team has a, has those games that get away from them for sure. The year, you know, my double A team went to the provincial finals. The same season, we got pumped twelve one in a game. So I understand it. But <laughs> if I'm Belarus, Switzerland, or Latvia, I am not looking forward to playing against Canada right now. No, and this is a, a unique U eighteen because Canada usually doesn't send a full squad to the U eighteens because a lot of their players would still be in the CHL playoffs. Um, so Canada has the full assortment there, including Connor Bedard as a 15 year old and he Shane Wright last night. Yeah. Uh, Shane Wright as a 16 year old underager who is the captain of the team. And then they have all the other possible first round picks this year. Brant Clark, Logan Stankvin, uh, Brennan Othman, Francesco Pinelli, like Canada is Dacked this year. Um, and not that Sweden had a bad team. They had Fabian Lucell, Isaac Rosen, uh, William Stromgren, uh, and a couple other guys who are going to get first round consideration, but Canada just outclassed them. It just, it was a game that it looked like Canada's triple A team was playing Sweden's single A team. And that's not a knock on Sweden. That's just how good. So Canada's did Sweden just lay an egg? Like, is they, that really what it was? Yeah, they didn't, obviously, they didn't have their strongest game, but I don't even want to say they laid an egg. It just looked like Canada didn't even let them get started. It was Canada's puck until they deemed otherwise. I have such a hard time evaluating, like, a good game versus a bad game for some of these teams because a lot of the teams are so couple NHL prospect heavy who just carry the load. But when you're playing a Canada like this, it's just heavy top to bottom. So I have a hard time, you know, is this just a bad game for Sweden or is Canada just, well, judging by the team Canada has, like, are they just that much better than Sweden? Like, I have a hard time in this tournament. So I kind of just look at it player by player. And that doesn't even factor in the fact these kids are 16 and 17 year olds. And uh, that brand of hockey can often get chaotic fast. I mean, who is it? Russia? Blew a late 3-1 lead against Finland, but also the day before came back from down 5-1 against the States. So in this tournament, you literally have no idea what you're going to get from any team day to day. Um, Othman sacrificing the body to get blown up but make the pass on the offensive rush. Uh, Shane Wright scores and then Othman gets up and pats the head of the Swedish player who <laughs> nailed him. I love that. Oh man, that was good. I love that stuff. That is my favorite I, part about hockey. He's a he's a late first round ranking on most lists right now. So right around where Detroit will be picking with the Capitals pick. That head pat immediately shot him near the top of my list of players I want the Red Wings to take with that pick. That's like <laughs> that reminded me so much of just playing like out of town tournaments 
when we were younger. Like, oh man, that was the good stuff. I, I love the, hockey. You, I'm the, so glad that we get to see these prospects actually play now. The best chirps in hockey are was are always a hundred percent of the time when someone does something shitty to you, but you or your teammates score, and you get to just do whatever the hell or say whatever the hell you want after, like. As a forward, my favorite was cut wide on the defenseman. They come across slashy on the wrist. You still score, and you can just skate past them and whisper, it didn't work. (laughs) Honestly, teenagers are the meanest people in the world. So, yeah, absolutely the best trips. And, like, when you get to the NHL or the AHL, your trips get worse. You peak as a teenager. The trips are at their best when you're playing, like, 13 to to 17-year-old hockey. That is when you will absolutely strip the soul out of a player. That's got to be the hardest time to be a backup goalie. Now, imagine Mika at 15 playing hockey. No. How bad is he going to... We have to make sure (laughs) Mika's going to make some kids real sad. We can't do it. We we are going to have to, like, buy her opponents counseling sessions for when they're done. She's just going to rip them to their core. It's too smart already. It's uh, a problem. Uh, it's Evan actually gets his scouting problem. reports from Mika, believe it or not. Um. Okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I didn't have anything to add to that. I no, you didn't have to. I thought Brad was going to laugh at a joke that I made, but it turns out I'm just not funny, which I uh, learned about a lot. Uh. No. In all seriousness, we're going to jump into uh overtime here. Before we get to the questions, we are going to start off with our FanDuel Sportsbook betting segment. Uh, overtime is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. It is the number one sportsbook in America for so many reasons. It's easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. And FanDuel will get your money that you win uh, back to you in as quick as 24 hours. So without further ado, let's take some odds for some upcoming NHL games and let's see how we'd bet. And you guys follow along. And if you are on FanDuel Sportsbook, see which one of the hosts makes you the most money. Um, And then you have to split it with us. Just because it's funny as hell. uh, Detroit has Carolina's number this year. Uh, Carolina is a cup contending team and Detroit is among the worst in the league. And yet Carolina can't really seem to solve Detroit. Carolina comes into Thursday night's game as minus 460 favorites. Detroit is a three plus 360 underdog. Listen, if you don't take Detroit, if you're going to even bet on this game, you are a fool. That's just fun money, right? That is. How do you not bet that line? I have zero confidence in Detroit actually winning that game. I'm placing that bet a hundred of a hundred times because you don't you don't get lines like that in hockey very often carolina's like five one and four in their last 10 like that's not even that inspiring to me so i wanted for who was the one was it detroit it was probably detroit i don't know (laughs) (laughs) so honestly like what's the thing it's like if someone gives you 500 to one odds you take them every time regardless of what the bet is it's it's a Leicester City bet, basically. Honestly, yeah. Like over under set at five and a half. They're both you get the same odds either way. It doesn't matter what you do there. Uh Detroit covering a two and a half spread as the underdog. Honestly, take that and take Detroit as the underdog. That's some I fun think money. So. If you miss out, who cares? Yeah, I would take that too. The the two and a half in Detroit. Um 
Interesting line here. Uh, Dallas in Tampa Bay. Uh, Dallas working to secure a playoff spot. Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay is favored minus 172 favorites over Dallas plus 144 uh, underdogs. Over under set at five and a half with the over being the underdog there. Uh, given what we've seen from Dallas's goaltending recently, I'm taking Tampa and the over. Yeah, uh, Hudobin's uh, been screwing me over in the fantasy hockey playoffs, so the worst time for him to start failing. Um, I actually don't have a problem here with with taking Dallas as well. I what feel like the, me, what was the uh, the number on that? The minus seventy two Tampa favorites plus one forty four Dallas underdog over under set at five and a half with the over being uh, the underdog there. So. Yeah, it's. I think I say this every time. It's a Tampa Bay game. It's. I just don't know how to bet when Vasilevsky's in net. Like he's the type of guy who could make it a one nothing win. So I'm taking Tampa, but I don't know about the over under. I'll say under. Um, let's go Vancouver Toronto. Vancouver obviously had those wins over Toronto. Uh, once they came back playing Toronto's a heavy favorite here minus 320 Vancouver plus 260 underdog that's another one I can't believe I'm advocating for so many underdogs but hey if you're looking to make some fun money here like Vancouver might be it granted Toronto's a substantially better team playing higher stakes hockey right now Um, I don't know where I fall on this one maybe this should be my safe bet maybe I'll go Toronto here maybe I'll go Toronto in the under it's set at six and a half this one's easy to look at Vancouver winning their last two games against Toronto coming from their COVID break or infection, whatever you want to call it. Um, but Toronto dominated both those games and it was Vancouver's goaltending that won those games. Um, Vancouver has now lost two in a row to Ottawa. Vancouver has looked very tired and sluggish as if it was a team recovering from almost the entire team getting COVID. I don't know if I'll have the confidence to bet on Vancouver any game the rest of the season, especially against, uh, you know, the top team that they will play. The season's only going to get more difficult for Vancouver as they have to play a, a more condensed schedule every night. And... Toronto looks good right now. So, yeah, I have a hard time taking Vancouver, even though I just said if someone gives you ridiculous odds, you take them. But I just I just don't know how Vancouver can pull it off. Like, they're, they are gassed right now. So I'm going to say Toronto. All right, everyone, be sure to download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000. Be sure to sign up sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 
All right. Um, if you uh, if you ever are thinking about betting against Toronto, just go look up the goal Austin Matthews just scored because holy shit, hmm. that good. It's it, he a puck popped up in the air. The defenseman was going for the puck with Matthews. Matthews reached out, batted it out of the air about chest height around the defenseman, picked it up in one motion, and ripped it in. It's so not, not human. It's not human. Yeah. Okay. We are going to jump into overtime, which on this midweek episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is Patreon exclusive. Um, our patrons are the best people in this world by far. They are the inverse of Brad. So thank you all for being you. Uh, Sam Shayer says, if you were in charge, what would your timeline be with the Wings top prospects to get them into the NHL? I feel like this Cider, is a weekly I'm- question at this point. So yeah, we, we have our rehearsed answers right <laughs> yeah cider immediately raymond yep. give him a look next year if not the year after bergerin same thing yep valeno hopefully next year valeno next year valeno yeah. at some point next year maybe a little earlier than previously thought ryan lee says maybe i was underestimating valeno but he looked much better than i anticipated should be a good middle six guy moving forward uh who do you see possible line mates being in the near future bergerin valeno ernie could be a fun line um, depends how long down the road we go and who the coach is because Blashill's not putting two rookies on the same line or a rookie and a sophomore. It's just not his style. Um, if we're talking who would Valeno offset? Well, well, he had a lot of chemistry in Grand Rapids with Zadina for whatever that's worth to you. Um, and then who's on the right side if they're or on the left side if they're playing together? The answer is I don't care. <laughs> If those two are uh, together, I'm happy. Michael Rasmussen, six foot a million, says, I'd assume Larkin, Rasmussen, Valeno, Glenny down the middle, unless we pick someone better up. How does Valeno take 2C or better yet? How does Ras solidify there? I say Valeno should be more productive there in time. <laughs> uh, default, because there's nobody else to put there. <laughs> yeah, a lot of his projection, right? Like, you, no one can stand up here and say Valeno and or Rasmussen would be a two number two C quality centerman right now on a comp- or in the future on a competitive team. But in the same vein, nobody could realistically stand up and tell you that it's impossible. So a lot of it remains to be seen. We've seen one NHL game as we're recording. We've probably seen another one by the time you guys are listening um, from Valeno. I think the more likely option for a success a team with successful center depth is they pick someone else up, though. Cody Stark says, I lost in the semis of Max's league because I sat Bernie last Saturday night. Oh, man. Fantasy hockey's a fickle mistress. Uh, Cider Spider says, with eight minutes left in regulation at Columbus last night, uh, Mickey said something like, if it weren't for the goaltenders, this game would have nine goals right now. I think he literally meant that if goalies hadn't played all game and left the net completely empty, Columbus would be up like 5-4, and he's probably right about that. I was too heartbroken to watch the replay of Zadina missing the net in the closing seconds of OT. What happened there? Um, that was a tough one to get a clear angle on. It looked like a combination of two things. Puck wasn't sitting flat, so he kind of hit it like a pitching wedge. And I'm not fully convinced the Columbus defenseman didn't get a hand on his stick while uh, he was trying to release it. I I think it's just a miss. Yeah, might be some other small things there, but yeah, just a missed chance. 
La Plata Peak says, I don't know what was worse, the Canada versus Yemen feel of the last Dallas game or the Blair Witch Project feel of the Columbus debacle. Uh, I don't care what Greg uh, thinks. There's no way Blashill is getting a new contract for head coach. However, they want to keep him around to make calls for replay reviews. I'd be okay with that and that only. I don't know, man. I think Greg Krupa might be Koopa might be right. Um, it, it's looking likelier that that Lashell comes back. Not guaranteed, but still. Uh, Lennox says Mike Lennox says if uh, a goaltender dresses as a backup, does it burn games off his ELC? Also, this podcast has in this last year helped me through a professional setback that was difficult. Thank you for that, and keep up the good work. Remember when the Wings win that cup again? We'll remember these days. Let's go Red Wings. Um, I'm really hoping I don't. Um, <laughs> um, I I don't think it's any different for a goalie than a player. But the catch here is you almost after I think it's age 20, that whole ELC slide no longer is relevant. So given how infrequently you see an 18 year or 19 year old goalie in the NHL, I don't think it'll ever really come up. Ruthless and Toothless says, I don't mean for this to be condescending, but I feel sorry for Wings fans who are under the disillusionment that Blasio won't be signing a two to three year extension. He was given a better team this year and the team has improved. As long as that continues every year, I foresee him being the guy. To clarify, I don't love Blash, not even on a Saturday night after half a bottle of Lagavulin 16 when all is right with the world, but I don't hate him either. If I woke up tomorrow to find out Larry on if this new is the new head coach, I'd be thrilled. To play devil's advocate, one could argue Blashill has earned it. Another possibility is maybe Stevie Stevie likes having a coach with no NHL record to speak of. A coach whose voice uh, is a lot quieter than a coach who's had success or Stanley Cups might just make his job a little easier during a rebuild. Thanks for the bumper sticker. It's going right on my Ducati. Cheers. Fair, like Some people might hate it, but I think it's a fair statement. Honestly, I think it has a lot more of a hold and truth than, than people might consider. Brent Rasmick says yesterday marked the 27th anniversary of Hashik's 70 save shutout, which had me thinking, who do you consider as the top three goalies of all time? Consensus is usually Hashik Wa Brodeur. Would you agree? And if so, how would you rank them? If not, who would you add? Plant, Sawchuck, or Dryden are worthy notables. I have Hashik Wa and then Brodeur, but I could hear some other arguments for third. There's a million ways you could go with this. For me, Hashik is number one by far. Uh, it, it still amazes me that anybody else gets in that conversation because I don't think people remember just how truly dominant Hashik was. As much as I hate the guy, Patrick Wall has got to be number two. Um, the the hot take that I have that everybody crucifies me for is I don't think Marty Burders as good as everybody makes him out to be. I still think he's a top 10 goalie of all time, but I, I don't put him at the pedestal that everybody else does. I don't know. I think you could make a really good case for Terry Sawchuk at number three, just because he was the best goalie of his era. And it's so hard to compare those eras. I also get a little weirded out that Gump Worsley, uh, not Gump Worsley, Glenn Hall doesn't get more talk here. Dude started 600 and something games in a row and was one of the best goalies in the NHL while doing it, which is, we talk about Gretzky's point record never being broken, which is true. Glenn Hall's game started in a row record will never. Nobody will get within 10% of it at this point ever. Uh, Reese Roper's blue comb says Adina wouldn't have missed had he been using a super tax AS3. That is all. I do like that stick. 
Third man in says, great work as always on the show. Um, could you please give us a heads up in the offseason when you're going to have the discussion about offer sheeting Pedersen? I get the sense that a lot of us have questions about it. You might even see if Prashant is willing uh, to chat since he wrote an article examining the possibility of offer sheeting Pedersen along with throwing a bunch of money at Dougie Hamilton as UFA. Yes, definitely. We will give everyone a heads up because it is a big conversation. It's just a lot happening right now. Um in hockey otherwise sorry i'm just reading one of the comments rowan here answered dougie hamilton is a ufa uh, that would be or slash reference was referenced as a free agent signing so just a clarification there uh andrew bohan says hello uh lovely dub dub boys who's everyone's favorite wings and non-wings netminder and why uh hashik because greatest goalie of all time for wings and um hashik because at one point he didn't play for the red wings <laughs> if not hashik then luongo um I'll go I'll go Jimmy just because as a Red Wing he spent his whole career as a Red Wing and I always really liked him and he never got his due. Um and of course me being like an, a grown ass adult when he was here I I kind of understood the context of it a little more. Um and I don't think I fully appreciated Ozzy and Hashik when they were coming up because I was so young. Um and then favorite goalie Outside of Detroit, Luongo's a good choice, but I, I probably go with I probably go with Lundqvist here. I'm a big Tom McCollum fan. Yeah, that's fair. That's a pretty popular one. A little bit of a cop out answer, but whatever. Um, yeah, I know. Sorry to pick the obvious one. Um, this might be an obvious one. Uh, Carey Price. He's probably Carey Price on his game no. is nuts. Yeah. And think of how many years Montreal was just so bad, but Carey Price just carried that team. I mean, for better, for worse, for fans now, but, and even in like Team Canada, like just ridiculous for so long. Uh, Matt S says, I think we need to have a check center for Vron and Zadina to make the check line or the checkmates. I thought I heard Ken or and or Mick say the checkmates when referring to them yesterday. It made me remember some of our named lines. Burton, Ernie, two kids and a goat, the grind line, the Russian five, the Euro twins. What's your guys' favorite name duos or named lines that we've had? It doesn't have to be wings either. Some other teams have had good ones too. Keep up the good work, dub dubs. It's gotta be the Russian five, right? Like that is one of the most iconic group of player names in all of sports. If we're talking iconic, it's it's either the Russian Five or I'm a little offended the production line wasn't mentioned there. That's one of the most famous lines in um, hockey history. But for for me, my if I had to narrow it down to one, just because of the long odds of it and it being tied to our hometown, the Kraut line. Milt Schmidt, Woody Dumar, Bobby Bauer from the Boston Bruins in the 40s and the 50s. The last line in NHL history to finish one two, three in NHL scoring. They paused their NHL career, mid-career, to go fight in World War II. They all came back and kept playing. And they're called the Krautline because they were all from the German community in Canada known as Kitchener. So around here, they're they're legends, like beyond what any other hockey player is around here. So I can't not pick them. Kitchener, so German, it actually used to be called Berlin. Believe it or not. Yes, it did. And they changed it because of the war. And it got a little awkward for a little bit. <laughs> it, it got awkward uh, during World War One. there. Um, and there was actually a contest in Boston during the Second World War to rename the Kraut line because, you know, 
<laughs> the German connection there was still it was unfavorable awkward. at the time. So what happened is what always happens. They held a vote. I think the Kitchener kids or, or something like that won the vote. But then everybody just kept calling him the Kurt line anyway. <laughs> Nothing changed. It's like when uh, Pepsi tried to introduce the new uh, Team Canada cheer for international tournaments. And it was, hey, oh, Canada, go. And it was, they like, they said, you all voted. This is what it is now. Like, uh, you, this is what you have to cheer as a Canadian fan and not a single Canadian fan did it. I never once heard it. They once tried to do it during commercials or like put it over the, the, the PA system, but it didn't work at all. You can't tell people what to do. It's the easiest way to get them to not. Imagine explaining to your marketing executives that you spent a ridiculous amount of money to secure that marketing position with the tournament or whatever it was in. Incredible. And nobody did it. I mean, we're talking about it right now. So as I oh, said, no. my nice ice cold Pepsi. Um, yeah. <laughs> what a waste of money that would have been. Uh, it's funny because Coke is way more popular in hockey. So I'm surprised it wasn't them. Uh, Tyler Sexton says, uh, hey, guys, my buddy introduced me to the podcast uh, and I've been listening now for the better part of two years. Tyler, thank you for tuning in. And Jake, thanks for being a good friend. Uh, podcast has been entertaining and, inf- and informative. Thank you for the great content. With the U18s underway, have there been any players that have met your expectations leading up to the draft and who have surprised you? I don't know if we ha- if you have any answers for this yet, Brad. I don't. It's still pretty early, but we are going to be doing a lot more U18 coverage, especially as we near the end of the tournament. Yeah, it's it's way too early to give any inputs like even if you want it's a small tournament so you can take stuff away from single games but i mean canada and sweden their one game was 12-1 so can't take really much away from that game i don't know i've liked what i've saw from nikita shiverkov of russia and he's played a couple games so he's been a little better than expected he is a first round projection so it's not surprising but uh, sure that's my answer for now Kyle McClure says, uh, Blashell decisions are what worry me about him being a voice in this locker room for another year. Uh, you talk about the defense getting better five on five. Is that actually coaching or is it because we had some NHL defensemen on the roster? Team can't be this bad uh, for much longer without significantly hurting players. Um, it's a combination of both. Defense, you don't just go out there and play it naturally. I th- I'd say defense is a lot more dependent systems wise. It's a little bit more of the team aspect of the sport. Meanwhile, a very dynamic, creative offensive player can go make a play out of nothing right um at least that, that's my guess i don't know if you guys as forwards have another look on that i play defense ryan oh well why do i have the title I, you should be former defenseman evan lobsinger oh no that's your title i don't want to take that i yeah, and evan's, defenseman a, evan evan's a beer evan's a beer league forward too so i believe my my name is international man of mystery uh anyway. yeah um Maybe this is why I get so rattled about it. You're right, Ryan, that you can't really coach offense. Like you can't teach a guy to get to the slot and and beat a goal. You can tell him to go there, but it doesn't mean he's going to get the puck off before the defenseman gets to him and hit the spot and yada, yada, yada. What you need to allow offense to happen is to let them play offense don't overcoach it give them some freedom give them some rope which is one of the reasons i'm critical of blashill is he doesn't seem to let them which you know the whole dump and chase and the hyper fixation on the um, 
umbrella on the power play, yada, yada, yada. Um, which is a catch-22 because Detroit doesn't have a ton of talented forwards. <laughs> so <laughs> he's screwed either way. So I have full sympathy for Blashill on that one. But uh, yeah, you you can't really coach too much offense. You can get a rough system to follow. But unpredictability is king for offense because if the defenseman doesn't know what you're going to do, they can't game plan for it. Uh, the actual Terry says the correct answer to the overtime scenario from last episode in which NHL player uh, that Brad causes massive hand injuries to by way of his face is only one of the three Ovechkin, Backstrom, or Oshie. This would give Wings the only shot and an actual tangible benefit from another player's injury and the hurt of another team. Oh, that's a great answer, actually, because of the Mantha trade. Um, also, when's the, the next episode of A Night In with Ryan Hanna coming out? You know, I was saying to uh, Mel, we whenever we have, like, not a lull, but we have to do an overtime, or sorry, a Patreon-specific or Patreon-exclusive episode, we got to do that one where we start the episode recording, like, after six beers. It's just hard because you have kids, Brad, and you ruin everything, but... You have to like plan in advance for the week before, do everything for Crystal and have them just have her just watch the kids that one night and then we all just get shmammered. We, we want to do it in person too. That's the thing. It would help actually, Brad, if you talked off of mute, I think. That would help. Um, but yeah, we could we could get hammered at your house. You can pick some shitty fucking hipster movie we'll all hate and then evan and i can just sit there hammered uh criticizing it the whole time and i think the patrons would love it what hipster movies listen do you i can't drink anymore i can't drink anymore <laughs> my hangovers yeah, last longer and longer every single time and i want to die i know ryan says patrons, six beers man. like ryan says six beers like i won't need more than two <laughs> yeah that's fair if there's we should start recording after three and drink six at most yeah, there's six a, is my, it's the end of the episode. I won't be able to contribute anymore. If there's a local medical professional in our area who will hook me up with an IV immediately after, I will do this. But otherwise, I my hangovers are so bad, I don't really drink anymore. I have one beer during the podcast and one on the weekend or one when I'm bored. That's it. Okay, question for you guys and the listeners, because I don't know if this is just a post-30 thing. If I have so much as one beer, it even if I'm not hung over the next day, if I have one, two, three beers, my sleep that night is shit. No, I, I, feel, I have that too. Yeah, garbage. Like I like when I was eighteen and nineteen and twenty and got hammered, I was comatose for sixteen hours. You couldn't, you could not hit me with lightning to wake me up. Now, oh, there's a slight breeze. I guess I'm up for the next thirty minutes dehydrated constantly have to pee constantly can't get into deep sleep i know i know what you mean uh lars the prophet of the towering behemoth says as valeno valeno makes a solid debut uh it gives you all kinds of unfamiliar fuzzy feelings right another debut is william eklund who played his first senior national team game how did it go uh goal and assist and one of the best players on the ice i rate him first overall this draft where do you have him right now (sighs) without giving too much away because again i'm still finalizing it right now he's in my top three yeah i i have him firmly in my top five i have had him at points kind of floating near number one admittedly haven't tried to make a ranking in a while i'm kind of waiting till after these u18s uh and i'm devin says would you rather have the equivalent time it takes to drink one beer maybe 10 minutes with steve eisman where he must answer any question but as soon as the beer is gone the conversation ends 
or an entire weekend with Ken, Mick, and Ozzy up north with an endless supply of your choice of booze. Oh, man, it's the weekend up north. Come on. That is not even up for debate. (laughs) Whenever I want to ask Stevie, we're going to see from him over the next however many years anyways. I want the weekend up north. I don't even, like, I love Ken Daniels and and Ozzy. I don't even care if they come. Hammered stories from Mickey Redmond will, that's all I need for the rest of my life. If we put Mickey Redmond, Evan Lobsinger, and how whatever booze they want in the world in a cottage up north and just set a camera and leave, Brad, we would have enough content for the next 10 years. We'd never need to record anything else. Oh, boy. It'd be like the reruns of old TV shows that just air forever and people still watch them. The Caminator says with the revolving A's to close out this year, who do you see as the alternate captains next year? Uh, Larkin, Glendening, Glendening. and Nielsen. Yeah, I was going to say Larkin, Glendening when he returns and uh, Nielsen and Bertuzzi will rotate if Nielsen's not bought out. This team doesn't take letters away from players. So assuming Glenn Denning's going to be back, it's the same three it was this year. Uh, Verona's in pajamas says, Good day, Dud Duds. Now that one half of hashtag must see JV has broken the curse of the number 90 jersey in Detroit, what other curse needs to break? Is it the lottery curse or whatever witchcraft is going on with Zadina's shooting percentage? Fuck, those were the only two that came to my head and I have to pick. I. I've got. I gotta say, the lottery feels a lot more cursed. Zadina's shooting percentage just feels like a normal thing that happens to his this type of player, and he'll break out of it. I'm not too concerned about that. I would kill one of you or both of you if I needed to for to break the lottery curse. And watch now they're going to win the lottery this year when we don't necessarily care. And then we miss out on Bedard and right. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) The basically the question I'm asking myself right now is if Philip Zadina starts converting on his chances and is that 25 to 30 goal 60 to 80 point player is that version of philip zadina better than anybody in this draft because it'll be close (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know if the the lottery curse includes the bedard and right years then yes absolutely that one um, and then there's uh, there's an important PSA here, and I encourage everyone to listen. Uh, and a, a concerning trend has emerged on Twitter, on the Twitter machine in recent months, and we must be careful not to use Lars's name in conjunction with any of this. The term goaler has been thrown around, and honestly, it's just wrong. I am ordering you, my employees, to take a stand against this aberration. Declare goalie the correct universal term and outlaw that other word. Goalie or goaltender is absolutely the only acceptable term in common hockey vernacular or verbiage. Goaler is a weird European thing, and you are wrong for saying it. To all my European so, pre- European friends, I apologize, but... So, Ryan, I'm about to make you so conflicted. I will always use goalie and goaltender. You are right on that one. That is... That sounds right. That's right. That's the one everybody should use. Um, I, I believe it was another Jeff Merrick thing where he actually did the research on the history of it. And if you go back to the early days of hockey... If you want to be grammatically correct, it's goaler. What? Yeah, I, I, I'm i not confident in this, um, so we have to double check it. But I do remember hearing from somebody, I want to say Merrick, that in the origins of hockey, goaler is what was originally used. And then it morphed over time. Huh. Well, so it's wrong now. You, you absolute grammar freak i hope this at least 
conflicts your brain just a little bit because I'm going to say goalie till the day I die. And grammar evolves all the time. I just want – yes, it does, Ryan. You should adapt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How'd you like that TikTok I sent you on that one, eh? That was the worst day when I, um, and then the (laughs) next part, the question is Jersey time, unusual numbers edition. See how many long-term Red Wings you can name that wore a different number than what you normally associate with them. Example, Cleary wore 71, but we know him for 11. Zetterberg wore 15. I saw a video the other day of Datsuk wearing like 24 or 25 in practice. I want to say it was preseason. Um. But yeah, I remember that one. Stevie's always been 19. Sergey was always 91. I'm pretty sure Lidstrom was always five. I don't think any Thomas of Thomas Holmstrom changed. used to have a different he was, number. He was 15 as well for a bit. His yeah. rookie year, he was number 15. Ah, oh, God. There's so many like big Red Wings. It's hard to narrow the list down to who's relevant. Uh, Johan Franzen was 39. And then... Oh no! Hashi yeah. came back when Hashi came back. Yeah, he flipped to ninety-three. That's a good point. You know what? Yep. Whenever I saw Mantha wearing thirty-nine, I I I always thought the association with Franz in there was just because of the flip. But you're right; he did used to wear it, huh? The I have a lot of you know. blindness to it, to like the numbers. Like I I, I noticed when they switch, but then my brain immediately uh, counts that as permanent. Um, I don't know. Rowan, you let us know which ones, which obvious ones we're missing there, because I'm certain there must be a lot. Uh, Antonio Gracia, or hashtag stay fresh cheese bags and never goaler. Antonio Gracia says, how are people seeing the prospect games or the ones happening overseas? Is there a streaming pa- package or are we just channeling our inner Captain Jack Sparrow? Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Pretty much. Steve Langerman says, hey, gents, I'm sure it's been covered, but hot damn, did Valena look great for a first outing? Uh, also, I got to say, I'm all about checkmates being the nickname for Zadina and Verona. Between Ken saying it on the broadcast and Brad on the last pod calling Zadina assist on Verona's first goal, uh, a chess move, I think we have a keeper. Moving forward with the Healthy Wings roster, if Verona stays a Red Wing long term, just curious about your thoughts on that being an actual line, maybe even with Valeno as a center, or is that too wishful? Don't think that's too wishful at all. I think it makes a lot of sense to keep those guys together. More of a pure shooter in Verona, a guy who can do both in Zadina, and Valeno has a lot of offensive help there where he can definitely fit into that line. Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, uh, gentlemen, it's getting really hard to watch games. Being only 19, I only started following hockey in the 16 to 17, 16, 17 season, so I haven't seen much success. Please help. Also, I guess Verona decided to cosplay as hell during yesterday's breakaway. With the Kraken coming in, uh, or Rain City Bitch Pigeons, as they should have been called, what player do you think will be a potential steal for them? Uh, I saw a mock with them taking Glenn Denning, and I thought that made a lot of sense, depending... He's UFA. So they could take him and have they the rights could. and it, then it, sign it him. It gives them negotiations, but yeah. yeah. The Vegas didn't take any UFAs from what I remember, so I don't think that'll happen again. Are we talking who would be a steal and we're... Talking Red Wings only, or are we talking around the league? Because there's Red, Red Wings only. Best bet for the Kraken to luck out here is they take one of Svechnikov or Chalosky, and then they actually pan out. Isn't uh, Fabry available? Is he'll be, be pro- exposed. He'll be protected. He'll protect him, yeah, a thousand percent. He'll be protected. They'll take stay fresh offensive dynamo 
Adam Ernie. He could, he probably won't be left exposed, but if, if the Red Wings do want to protect younger players, there is a reality. Giovanni Smith and Evgeny Svechnikov are protected and Adam Ernie and Vlad Nemesnikov are left exposed. I don't think that'll happen, but it could. Uh, Stay Fresh Cheeseback says, hey there, fellas, during this recent slate of games, how about instead let's do a quick rundown of what fans are really craving the 2021 Academy Awards. Now for a complete summary of all 366 movies eligible for the 2021 Oscars. But seriously, go watch The Father, The Sound of Metal, The Five Bloods, Judas and the Black Messiah, Promising Young Woman, Pieces of a Woman, Minari and the White Tiger, and Palm Springs, very underrated. I guess uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for Chadwick Boseman, but it's like August Wilson's worst play. But Nomadland, really? It was boring. It's like a documentary about white people and nothing. And Mank, more like wank. Hollywood takes a movie or makes a movie about Hollywood. And of course, they find a way to fillet themselves over it. Don't get me started on Tenet, Aussie for Hall of Fame, State Fresh Cheese Bags. Oh, that's passionate. I, I was completely tuned out of that comment until the very end where it got very good. Uh, well, I had not part? heard of a single one of those movies. <laughs> <laughs> um i usually try to watch the oscar noms i haven't been able to this year so i uh, thank you uh joseph for listing those out okay uh we promised you guys giveaway winners so we're gonna go from the bottom up first uh we picked five winners for our sticker swag pack so you get every kind of sticker coaster those kind of items that i can just stick in an envelope and send to you our winners are uh from from patreon joe Kloss. Chris Robert, and from Twitter, at UnofficialDBoss, at Mike uh, Cywink, and at Holographic Ribs. Next up is shirts. We gave away three Winged Wheel Podcast t-shirts. Um, the Patreon-specific giveaway, congratulations to Theodore McHardy. And the overall giveaway, which was, of course, Twitter and Patreon. All patrons were, were uh, automatically entered into both draws here, so you're good. Uh, Brad Smithsko is a patron who won in the overall giveaway and uh at justin craft is the winner from twitter you and can just deliver my shirt thank you yeah you're very welcome and the winner of two sorry each of you win one red wings jersey so we gave away two red wings jerseys here uh the patreon specific winner is michael bazinski so congratulations michael you win a detroit red wings jersey and from twitter at sealed seven so at sealed seven from twitter you win the other red wings jersey so thank you all so much uh for entering that um more giveaways coming soon, a very special one. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but congratulations to those winners. Uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Brendan M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Riley, the best kept secret, Shahan, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Aggressive Viper, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Leighton, Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, 
and shit bucket surprise <laughs> stan olsen stay fresh cheese bags trevor pepivar thank you all so much take care thanks for tuning in to the winged wheel podcast be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you'll also find links to other ways to support the show such as patreon official podcast apparel and more and don't forget to follow the show on twitter at winged wheel pod and of course the hosts at brad crisco at ryan hannah ww and at Hockey Town Evan.